Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I am R. Purcell. I am the founding and host of the podcast. This has been going on for so, so long. This is episode, what, 312? No, 313. Wow, lots of episodes. Um, so I'm a filmmaker. I've uh, worked on lots of films. I've crewed up on films for years. I'm now a post-producer in-house at a production company, and I'm just finishing up uh, my first feature film as a writer-director, The Alternate. I am Liz Manichel. I am a writer-director, producer, and co-host of the show um, with two features under my belt. I am a former film critic and a current distribution consultant uh, who used to manage the Creative Distribution Initiative at Sundance. And also, I am a co-founder of Constellation Incubator. This week, we welcome producer, writer, and editor-director team Hudson Phillips and Jordan Newell to talk about their new film, This World Alone which they made together out in Atlanta in 10 days in a very accelerated pre-production schedule, which to them didn't seem that accelerated, but to me was like, are you crazy? Um, Jordan and Hudson talk about why they made this film, their process and what they have learned on their road from production to the film being released through 1091, which is super exciting. Uh, this is a real good conversation to show you how you really don't need to wait for permission and you can just go out there and make your movie. I mean, you know, they talk about how they like had two false starts and then they made this movie. But it's like it's interesting that like it happened so quickly for them in on the third the third go around. But I guess that's because they just decided, screw it, we're not waiting any longer. We also get to discuss the what does it mean of it all, which I'm really, really into talking about these days. We're gonna jump right into the interview, but don't go away because we have a new installment of Get Shorty featuring the non-love story by Jennifer Goreski, which is a very exciting, another Australian filmmaker, I believe, which is very cool. And we have another uh, listener email to read, which is very exciting. So without any more jawing, here is our conversation with Hudson and Jordan. So, hey, Hudson. Hey, Jordan. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show. Um, usually we start off with an elevator pitch because we have two guests. Could you each introduce yourself um, so people can know your voices, say what your role was? And then one of you, Russian Roulette, has to do the elevator pitch. I'm Jordan Noel. I directed and edited This World Alone. Uh, I'm Hudson Phillips, and this is what my voice sounds like. And um, <laughs> I was the writer and producer of This World Alone. Um, I always say writer by choice, producer by necessity. And uh, Hudson, give us the elevator pitch for the film. Okay, so This World Alone is um, a post-apocalyptic uh, drama slash thriller that is um, about this teenage girl who's grown up in this world uh, without technology or power, kind of in this bubble with her two mother figures. Uh, and something happens, an accident that causes her out of this bubble for the first time to experience the world outside. And she'd been um, kind of raised with these warring philosophies. Her mom really taught her to, um, you know, the world is dangerous and you got um, to prepare to be hardened um, to last out there. And um, her other mother figure, uh, who's a family friend that lives with them, um, kind of raises her to say, no, the world is good and, and peaceful and you have to have hope. Uh, and so as she goes out on this journey, she's putting these kind of warring philosophies uh, to the test. And then uh, how many days did you shoot? We shot for 10 days straight. So we, we, uh, we lived and worked in one house. So we had about 20 of us um, between the cast and crew and we'd 
wake up early in the morning and go out uh, into the land around this house and shoot and then come home and kind of plan the next day and get very little sleep, uh, which we would definitely not do 10 days straight again, but somehow we were able to to pull it off. What was the rough budget or what can you talk about with regard to budget? We can talk about all of the budget. Um, And and that's one thing I love about your podcast is just how um, open and honest you are about these things. Because when we were in the planning stages, uh, we had a hard time finding actual figures uh, and we had to learn a lot of those lessons ourselves. But we raised um, 30 grand um, in equity funding um, through um, really kind of random friends and family. We we set out and we said, we have these three people that we know will pay for the movie. And we went to all three of them. They all said no. Um, but then we just started talking about it and um, people who we had no idea had money just started being like, oh, we'd love to support you guys and what you're doing. Um, so we shot for 30 grand and then, um, quickly ran Hudson, out of money. Hudson, you, you were very organized, but I, I think you're not giving yourself quite enough credit there about doing it in $5,000 chunks. There was a yes. whole, a whole plan of like, you know, here's, here's basically a package that you could invest in. And, right. you know, you put together a package of, all, of a packet of all these numbers and things that, made my head spin, but made other people <laughs> with money excited. Yeah, we tried to be as organized as possible about it. Um, but that area was just so foreign to us that it took a lot of learning and a lot of um, Googling uh, in order to figure out how to do all that. Um, but we ran out of money um, for posts and festivals and distribution. And so we did a crowdfunding campaign um, to raise another 20 grand on Seed and Spark. Uh, which crowdfunding, I think, is a thing that I think all filmmakers should do once and then only once because it was such a painful process. Um, but I think ultimately crowdfunding is really more so than money. It's about building an audience. Um, and that's really what we mostly what we got out of that was just a, a whole new uh, kind of group of followers. And then how long did you spend working on the film from, um, you know, coming up with the idea to now being released? Uh, exactly four years. For both of you? Was, was that. I guess Hudson had written... How, how how long before May 18th, 2017, did you write those 10 or 12 pages? Probably a day before. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, four years and a day for Hudson. But he had sent me an email because we've been collaborating and working together since 2011. So he wrote me an email on May 18th, 2017 with a short film script attached. And we very quickly decided to make that into a feature, which Hudson had said, you know, this is, this is part of a bigger idea, but it could stand alone as a short. So we were on set less than three months from that email. And then um, we shot for 10 days and then I edited for a year and then, and doing post for a year, all that. Um, We premiered, we did a handful of premieres. So a year, right at a year after production. And then we did festivals for a year and then we did a pandemic for a year. (laughs) And now here we are. Just to reinforce that, it's like everyone always talks about getting to production and financing, but it's like everything was tremendously lopsided in the world of (laughs) post-production and marketing and distribution, which is really interesting. Um, How big was your crew? I mean, you talked about 20 people in the house. Would you say your crew was about 20? Yeah, fluctuated. Uh, I think on any given day, we had between 18 and 22 people um, because we had like some steady cam guys that would come for a day or for three days. Um, like Rich Thompson, our, our um, fight coordinator guy was there for, you know, half the time, not, not all the time. So 
uh, between 18 and 22, I think is right. Yeah, we had a lot of people that would come out. We we're like, hey, we can pay you for a day. And they'd come out for a day and they'd be like, can we hang around and keep helping for the rest of the week? And so it was it was a cool yeah. vibe uh, that people wanted to uh, to be around and be a part of this. And then compared to all the other projects you've made, how difficult was it to make this one? <laughs> it's kind of apples and oranges because we'd, we'd done some commercial shoots. We'd done some short films uh, and it just nothing compares to doing a feature. Um, just the amount of work. Um, not so much on the, I mean, definitely on the filmmaking side from day one, we were learning lessons every day that we weren't aware of or, or kind of roadblocks that we didn't know we'd have to face. Um, but really the, the, the biggest difference was kind of what you said, what came after, you know, those three years of, of navigating, um, distribution and, and post and, um, film festivals and all of that stuff was new for us. So I kind of say like each level of this thing has been a new kind of film festival for us and a new learning experience. The hardest part about this has been the, how long it has dragged on. Uh, and it's been like an equal amount of work <laughs> just about at every point in the four years, with the exception of those 10 days that were a little bit, a little bit more work. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, our, our first short film, we shot four days and post took a long time, but like we were done in a couple months. I mean, it was it, it, looking back, it was a lot easier than this, yeah. but less, less rewarding. Where are you based? Just, I'm trying to get, um, get a picture for our listeners of, uh, cause this is a micro budget feature with no tr- like a level cast. Right. Right. Yep. And, um, you have an interesting story about how you financed and, but you did quite well with festivals. So I'm just trying to go back. So where, where did you make this film? Uh, we're in Atlanta. Uh, our Jordan's now lives in Nashville, but he moved after we filmed. Um, so uh, the, the great uh, Atlanta has some pros and cons. I mean, the pro is that they shoot so much stuff here that you have access to a lot of really talented um, casting crew. Uh, and so working on short films, we kind of collected uh, key casting crew that we really loved working with and we'd continue. And that, that was really the best part about the short film process is we just found people that we fell in love with and became kind of our filmmaking family. Um, and so Atlanta is great for that. But then the downside of Atlanta is there's, um, there's an identity crisis of really figuring out what indie film is in Atlanta. And we haven't quite figured that out. And there's a bit of a chip on everyone's shoulders because Hollywood comes in here and film stuff and then leaves. And um, so there's, there's kind of a bitterness. And so you could, it's, it's kind of a little bit difficult to find the right people that have, that still have that optimism. I think a lot of people are just kind of burned out on it. Um, but we shot in, um, we kind of followed that model of, you know, use what you have. And we knew we didn't have much money, but we did have the beautiful North Georgia mountains. And so um, if you watch the film, what, 80% of it takes place outside because everywhere you look, it looks like a, a movie set. It's just gorgeous. And so we let that do a lot of the heavy lifting for us, um, just having access. So it was about two hours north of Atlanta. Why did you guys decide to make the movie so quickly? Like from the, the you know inception of the script to going out and shoot like was there a reason behind that like was it just like a fire that that you needed to <laughs> giving you guys this energy or like what, what was the like why didn't you take more time to like develop the script or did you just know it was ready i don't think it felt quick to us um because <laughs> we had been developing <laughs> we've been talking about making a feature for so long we had already developed or you know been in the process of developing I think at least one, maybe two features before this that just we spent years on and that never went anywhere. So once this idea came up and Hudson turned the the first draft of the full feature script around in two weeks after that initial email. And so we knew it wasn't 
like ready to shoot. But we knew that because of the way that we work together, that we would continue working on that every day. And we just, we just had to set a goal and go for it. And I, my wife at the time was a teacher. So in order to shoot, like we needed to shoot it in the summer because I have my kids um, when, while she was teaching. And so it was just a matter of logistics, but, and naivete of thinking, all right, that's the date. Let's do it. Well, let's go back even further. So you started a, a creative collaboration 10 years ago. And I guess what I'm curious about is how, how do you know, how do you know when, when that's the one, when you're, you know, like, how did you know that you could trust each other and work in this intimate way for the next 10 years? Or was it, was it, was there a period of kind of like dating um, where you weren't sure? That's a, that's a great question. Um, because it, de- it, it definitely is a relationship in some way like that. Um, Jordan and I um, had known each other kind of on and off mutual friends, like going to, you know, shows in the Atlanta area, that kind of stuff. Um, and I had been uh, writing for a while and struggling with the, the model of writing something, sending it to LA, nothing would happen and getting frustrated with the whole Hollywoodness of it. Uh, and Jordan was making um, music videos at the time um, for local bands. And uh, so we ran into each other at a show and said, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, and so let's go make a short. And um, so I was, I was anxious to actually start making stuff as opposed to sitting around and waiting for stuff to be made. Um, and I think it was a trial by fire. We just jumped into it with both feet and found that, um, well, first of all, Jordan, and I don't have much in common in terms of tastes, um, which I think is actually a pro. Um, it's kind of like in relationships too, you know, if you're just like the person that you're, you're dating, you're going to butt heads with them a lot more. So Jordan had the stuff he was great at. He had his, uh, kind of taste and I had the stuff I was great at and I had my taste and we kind of stayed in our lanes. Um, and challenged each other. So, you know, I might write uh, something that's kind of an overly sentimental scene or something. He's like, no, 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 let's pull it back and make it a little bit darker. And it's those kind of conversations that it was just a a good balance, but it was definitely um, trial by fire, just jumping in and doing it. Um, And it kind of, that's the case with, with all of our crew, you know, we would bring them in for a short, we'd make something. um, And if we got along uh, really well and they just brought something, um, their own kind of unique vision to it, then we'd make sure that we'd uh, bring in the belong and invite them to the next one. And and did you guys have production backgrounds before doing this? Like, had you like work on sets like PA and that kind of stuff, or did you just figure it out, go out and make movies? We're, we both come from a visual art background. We're both graphic designers by trade, although I do a lot less of it now, but no, (laughs) Um, we didn't, <laughs> I don't know why no, we, I was going into that, but no. Yeah. Uh, our, our first day shooting our short should tell you something. We show up, we had no idea what we we're doing. Our first, uh, day of shooting started at 1am and we shot all the way until 12 the next day. Um, cause we needed this restaurant location. That was their only time. Um, and it was a complete mess, but after that first day, we felt like we had learned so much. And after that second day, we had learned so much. Um, I had, I had, hadn't really been on sets. I, uh, like did some like extra work when I was a kid. And so I kind of was on some movie sets then. Um, but you don't really pick up the, the practical stuff. And so, um, to answer your question, no, we had no idea what we were doing on that short film. And then each one we did, we learned a little bit more and a little bit more. I remember why I was saying that now. It's because neither Hudson nor I are college graduates. We're both self-motivated, passionate people who learn how to do things we want to do on our own in a way that in some way makes us learn lessons the hard way 
uh, in ways that if we'd gone to school for any of these things that we do professionally or passionately, we, we wouldn't have made the same mistakes, but that's just, I think it's how we both learn is by making our own mistakes, trying to do it. There's like a lot of film school graduates who have not made a feature. So, <laughs> I mean, there's the other side of it too, right? Like the hood sure. and the desire to prove yourself. And I mean, there's a lot of things that, that can be garnered that are incredibly positive. Um, I just am thinking back on, I think you guys were in post and Hudson reached out to me through maybe Mia Bruno, or I forgot where it was Hudson, but you were like on this, like detective sleuthing, you were gathering <laughs> Intel on distribution and marketing. And I have a feeling you probably did that throughout the entire process in terms of data gathering. And I want to just go back to like the genre of this film. So it's this, you, you mentioned it was a thriller. It sounds like it's kind of a hybrid of multiple genres. Was this all by design? I mean, you said you, go to your, you wrote to your resources, but genre does have a better time in the marketplace. So what yeah. was that also part of, you know, the puzzle, I guess. Genre just came out of, it wasn't intentional. It was just, that's what I love. Those are the movies I love. And those are the movies I want to write. Um, I started out writing with a couple of buddies of mine and we did comedy and, um, and I enjoyed that. And especially writing with partners um, and they both got burnt out on the process and kind of dropped out along the way. Um, so I had the opportunity of like, oh, I, I have to rebrand myself now as a solo writer. Um, and so from the very beginning, it's always been, you know, sci-fi fantasy kind of stuff, um, just cause that's what I love. And so it wasn't intentional and like, Hey, this will sell better. Um, and I think from Jordan's perspective and, and he can kind of respond to, um, he comes from a different place that he just cares about the story, no matter what it is. Um, I, I also have a marketing background. That's my day job. And so that some of that came up afterwards, but um, one of my philosophies with marketing is you can't sell something that's not there. So like if I didn't have a passion about a post-apocalyptic story and I was just telling it because I thought it would sell, that's going to come off so fake and audiences are going to see through that. Um, so a big part of the marketing side was um, let's, let's sell our passions. Let's tell the story that we really want to tell uh, in the way that we want to tell it. Um, and that was always the challenge because I, I wanted to tell sci-fi fantasy stories and it, it's it's difficult to do on a budget all and i have both done a sci-fi feature so we right we're yeah. With, yeah we're with you on that one. <laughs> yes indeed uh so it took me six years to make mine um <laughs> but uh so the question i have now that i'm really curious about is you know when when you have the the that short film you say i'm gonna we're gonna make it to a feature and you write it in two weeks like where and how you come up with the budget to, to make this feature after stumbling on two other projects before that? Yeah, I think the other projects helped um, because we were a little overly ambitious with like, hey, people will just give us money. Um, and so those were a little more pricier and they were a little bigger films. Um, and so from the very beginning, we wrote with budget in mind. So we said, uh, what can we afford? That's There's only five uh, actors in the film because we knew the less people, uh, we knew the less locations. Um, and so we wrote uh, with that specifically, you know, it's, it's essentially one house and then outside is what, where the film takes place. And so um, we were very intentional about that. Um, I, I kind of think budget is arbitrary a little bit. I think if we had raised, you know, $500,000 or we had raised $30,000, we would have made essentially the same film, maybe more time, uh, maybe, um, nicer equipment, that kind of stuff. Uh, we probably would have definitely put money behind, um, production design and some things that, uh, we kind of feel, um, is missing from the film. Um, 
but I kind of think you just, if when you set that date and you just move forward with it, I think had we gotten $10,000, we would have made that $10,000 version too um, with a much you know smaller uh, crew. And probably we might've done some rewriting uh, in order to make that work. Um, but we kind of treated the, the script kind of fluid in that way. Um, one of the ways we got around budgets uh, in a creative way was the film has these voiceover segments uh, where it's almost like a, um, I was real inspired by, I don't know if you guys have seen um, Mike Mills, uh, 20th Century Women or Beginners. And oh, he does these kind of, yes. I love that movie. So he does these kind of like uh, voiceover segments where it's kind of a slideshow where it's kind of, uh, it's a still image and he'll kind of do this voiceover over it. And we were inspired by that, um, or I was. And um, so about like eight pages of the script are these voiceovers. So that's eight pages of the script. We didn't have to shoot. Uh, we had to do it in post. And I think it was probably more work for, for Jordan to kind of pull the, the images uh, where it's our, our lead. It hit. may have taken more hours to make that than it did to shoot the yeah. film. <laughs> but, um, but the idea is that uh, the lead character, Sam, is going through um, old newspaper clippings and old magazine clippings and old photos that she had found in this post-apocalyptic world um, as she's telling the story, um, talking about what the world was like before, what she thinks the world was like before. Um, so that kind of did a lot of heavy lifting for us on, on the budget side, but also let us play in um, the genre side and let it uh, explain the post-apocalyptic thing in a visual way um, that didn't require you know, special effects or something like that. I'm gonna press on Ulrich's question even more though. Like when you went to potential investors and I understand, I'd love to hear more about this 5K sure. you know, a piece package um, if you wanna talk about it. But when you both were pitching to investors, um, were you making promises saying things like low overhead will definitely recoup or like, look at all these comps like Mad Max, we're destined to succeed. <laughs> you know, like what was your argument or was it this kind of patronage model where investors were brought on to invest in you too as um, a collaborative team? It was a little bit of both. I'll say uh, we did all that stuff. We did comps um, and we did low budget comps. Like I want to say we even did bread and butter as a comp only because Aww. it's one of the only ones we could have found data right. on, you know? Um, and so we were very realistic about it and um, we're very upfront like, hey, you may not see your money back. We weren't making empty promises. Um, but I'll say that every person that invested in us um, that's not what they cared about. They cared about us. They cared about um, like one of the guys who's an old friend who I had no idea had any money, but he came to me and he said, um, I, he's like, I don't really have like a life passion like you do. So I want to help you uh, find yours. And so he, he gave us some money to make that happen. Um, so yeah, very practically, I think we said um, $5,000 uh, increments. Um, I think we were trying to raise 50 at the time. Maybe it was just 30. So it would be like 10 of those. And then, um, so like, for instance, two friends came to me and said, hey, can we combine? And each gave 2,500 and they got one uh, kind of increment. Um, and we promised um, 120% of the budget back to them or 120% uh, of their uh, investment back to them um, before we see anything. Um, and so that's kind of the model we went with. And um, so now that the movie's out, we're, uh, that's, that's the thing that keeps me up at night is, um, you know, are we actually going to make money off of this? Um, and, uh, and, and one of the things that I'm exploring is we're looking at doing another film and we're hoping to shoot by the end of the year is figuring out um, not 
not making a movie because it costs something, but making a movie because it's worth something and really figuring out. There's this line in um, that movie, um, You've Got Mail, where um, Joe Fox is like looking at this book in the bookshop and uh, the salesman guy's like, uh, yeah, the, um, you know, the paintings are like hand tipped or whatever. And he's like, oh, that's why it costs so much. He's like, no, that's why it's worth so much. Um, and so that's been kind of my model with, with film stuff is um, ultimately I'm not sure that this world alone is worth more than $30,000. I'm not sure that it has that value without a star or without this kind of hard genre and, and just the kind of, um, you know, slow paced film that it is. Um, and that's something we're looking at with the next one is, you know, if we're raising a certain dollar amount, we need to make sure that the, the end product is actually worth that amount so that we can, we, we can make it back. Um, so my big fear is that, you know, Hey, maybe this one isn't even worth 30 grand. Um, and we'll have to explore that, um, and kind of at least treat it as a loss leader, uh, and learn the lessons from it. So I guess you don't know the answer to that question yet. You don't know if the film is worth 30,000. Yeah. yeah, we're still figuring out just what all the models are to make back money. And we're in the, you know, um, TVOD section right now. So it's on iTunes and Amazon and all that. And we're just now getting data from just like one of those platforms. And we'll figure it out as, as more of them come in. Um, but it only came out two days ago. So we're still figuring all that out. And then um, AVOD's coming up. We're talking with international partners about that and we're pitching the streaming services. And um, so hopefully all of those revenue sources will kind of add up. Um, but we've also tried some creative things too. We launched um, like an anthology book that's like quote unquote inspired by the film um, just to have more um, revenue streams or to test out new revenue streams um, to bring in just as much money as we can. I want to sneak in one more question. Um, did you try to do uh, traditional distribution? Like, did you take it to like, you know, places that might buy it and, you know, just take it from there? Or did you just decide from the beginning, no, we want to do self-distribution on our own? Well, we, we did, we are distributed through 1091 Pictures. So we okay. are uh, traditional distribution, but our initial goal um, before COVID was um, to do kind of what Naomi McDougal Jones did with Bite Me. We were really inspired by her and met with her a few times um, to do kind of a self-book tour and all that. And we actually had booked uh, maybe a dozen art house theaters and um, colleges and had this whole plan uh, for last year to self-distribute. Um, that's why we printed the book as part of that. So we'd have something physical to sell at those shows. Um, shows, that's probably not the right term, those screenings. Um, and that was around March of last year. So all of our wow. plans uh, got shut down. Um, and so we pivoted to, to uh, traditional distribution. And so we finally bit the bullet. And uh, because I, Jordan and I, as he mentioned, we kind of come from this, you know, DIY aesthetic and we both toured in bands. And so we thought that would, was a really fun, unique way uh, to release a film. And we're very excited about that. So, but we, uh, we reached out, just blind emailed uh, maybe a dozen distributors. And we heard back from about five who watched the movie um, or maybe uh, half a dozen that watched the movie and four offers, something like that. And um, 1091 was the only one that came back and said, we love your trailer. We love your key art. Let's do this. You know, they were just um, full in on what the movie was and not trying to make it something that it wasn't. And, and they didn't offer you any money up front. Right. Yeah. No money up front. Just wanted to hear that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I know I were flip flopping in terms of timeline, but Jordan, when you were facing this micro budget feature at this really reduced budget, right? I mean, maybe, I mean, $30,000 is nothing to laugh at. That's a really nice yeah. car. That's like a down pay. I mean, that's a lot of really great things. Yeah. Um, but I'm just curious, 
because I, I don't know, I suffer from anxiety. I was just curious, what did you do when you felt the pressure, when you felt the anxiety about being um, the directorial helm of like such a feat? I'm just curious about getting in your head a little bit. I am what I refer to as a committophile. I am, I just love to commit to things before <laughs> I really think about them. And this was no exception. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to do it. I knew that I had Hudson you know, standing with me as far as, you know, making this happen. I, I didn't, I never, I never, I think if I had felt when I get anxiety about projects, it's when I feel like it's like, I'm, it's just me. I love to collaborate. And so knowing that I had my collaborators, Hudson, Trisha, the, the DP, you know, the, the cast we already knew, um, I felt really naively confident as far as like you know i i want to do this and i'm gonna and i'm just gonna do it um i've I, you know same thing i did with parenting that's how i have children i was just like let's just have a kid let's not think about how it's going to affect the rest of our lives let's have some children and, and we'll figure it out day by day and you know here we are i have a movie and i have two kids as an upcoming parent that makes me feel very like zen you know it's like yeah it's just figure you know it's all good you could just well, figure I, it out i will not lie to you i have not found the zen of parenting <laughs> i was uh, to say your I, attitude has probably changed since then hasn't it absolutely <laughs> sorry ah uh, oh, dang <laughs> so I, you know I, it's just how i am i just set a goal and i'm i just work towards it step by step i'm a very in the moment person i really don't worry about the future very much uh i let my wife worry about the future i let her ask questions like why are you directing a feature film? How much are you getting paid? Where are the kids going to be? I'm very comfortable saying, I, I don't know. I don't know yet. The, the question that just comes, you know, to me immediately for both of you is like, you know, and, and you kind of talked about a little bit, you know, with this idea of like, what, what is the movie worth? And like, you know, should we actually make this movie if, if it's at the certain budget level? But would you do it again? Like, would you make a $30,000 movie again? Or does it have to be a certain level up in order to, for it to make sense in your lives now i would with the the one caveat of i i really care about the people who are working on it feeling like they are being paid what they're worth i don't care about me um a lot of us deferred our payments and and i'm so comfortable with that because i just i, I if i make any of it about money for me, then I'm, I think my attention is on the absolute wrong thing. I cannot make art and think about money at the same time. So I'm all about making the art, no matter what kind of budget we have, as long as people feel like they're being taken care of. Yeah. And, and we did, everybody that worked on the film got paid something. I mean, nobody, <laughs> nobody made a ton, um, but everybody did get paid. Um, and so that was very important to us that we weren't taking advantage of every, of, of anybody. Um, but the other thing Jordan and I talk a lot about, um, I mean, we certainly want to take steps up each time. Um, but one thing we talked about with this film of why we would do it just like this again um, is kind of this uh, illustration of, you know, if you have a lot of money and you're, you come up to this cliff, you can just build a bridge across. Um, but if you, if you can't afford to build a bridge, you kind of just have to leap. Um, and that leap is, uh, leaves room for magic and, and mag we've got so many stories of just how things miraculously came together on this film um, because we couldn't 
pay our way out of it. Right. So, um, and, and that's the kind of stuff that we wouldn't trade for anything because that, that really is the creative process for us. That's art. That's collaboration. Um, just leaving room for, for some magic to happen. We talk a little bit about the idea of volunteer laborers and compensating your crew properly. I mean, we talked about it, I think a few weeks ago with, um, Jeff Ryan's film youth men. I know Ulrich and I had like a, a small chat about it. Um, what are alternate plans? Like we can even brainstorm them on this podcast right now. It's like, if you don't have the money, which is, you know, obviously a hard cost, (laughs) not having money. Um, you know, are you, are you providing training or education on set? Are you doing uh, labor swaps? Are you, um, I'm just trying to think of what else can be offered because, we can never guarantee financial investments in our projects. And it sounds like we're all the type of people who just want to keep on making movies. Mm -hmm. So have you kind of workshopped that idea of compensation without um, financial fallout, I guess? It's a great question. I'm not sure we've found a solution for it yet. One thing that we did on this film, at least, uh, so like everybody got paid, uh, I think we paid 150 a day for everybody that was on set, something like that. Um, with, the, with maybe five people deferred um, to if we make anything, then they get paid that same amount. Um, but one thing that we did in order to get kind of um, these people on set was give them uh, one step up from what their experience was. So um, B. Kelly, who was our special effects supervisor, she was a special effects assistant on a lot of stuff like Adult Swim shows and all that. Um, so we put her in charge of that whole area and she just, you know, exploded with talent um, all over it every single day, bringing new stuff to it, um, going well above her, her job. Um, our DP, Trish, she DP had a lot of, of shorts before and I think maybe two features, um, but her day job is a second AC on a bunch of Hollywood stuff. And so we let her, you know, kind of run our camera department and be DP and all this kind of stuff. Um, so that model of letting people do things that, they haven't done before or don't have a lot of experience in um, really helped people be committed, not because of the money, but because of the passion and because they could stretch those, those muscles uh, in a way. Um, And Jordan and I always say, we're not experienced. So why would we expect everybody on the crew to be uh, experienced uh, in that same way? So giving people opportunities and like that, um, a lot of our cast, you know, hadn't started in movies before, um, and so just giving giving people opportunities where, where we saw potential. Uh, I want to stress something, too, in addition to that, about, about atmosphere on set and equality on set. Um, I mean, money is obviously hugely important and people need money to live. <laughs> um, but there's something else I think that is also super important, which is that people feel some ownership over the project, which is part of what Hudson's talking about, about like, letting people do jobs that they want to do, not just what they already have experience doing. But I grew growing up in music and doing all that. um, I also worked in restaurants and I worked at a a particular restaurant where I felt real ownership and I did not make very much money at that restaurant, but like I would have done anything there. And then when that started to erode was when I was watching how much I was maitre d'. I was, I mean, I was, everybody knew me as the guy in the front of that restaurant. Um, but like the servers just started making way more money than me. And the, and that eroded a lot of my uh, passion for the job, not because I wasn't, not because I wasn't happy with the amount of money I had, but because there wasn't any quality there. 
And so I think it's really important. And it's something we tried to do on the This World Alone set was like, you know, director, writer, producer, like we're not getting special treatment. We all stayed in this house and Hudson and I slept on the floor in the living room of this house. We didn't have our own room because I, I think that's the kind of thing that, that really erodes that, that trust is if people seem to be being taken care of more than others. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. I, um, I slept on the couch, you know, and gave my PA and actor bedrooms, you know, while I took the couch. And I mean, I feel like, you know, that was my preference, you know, but I think it also (laughs) just helped just, it's just, it's just one of those things you can do to, to make, to make everyone feel you know, appreciated, I guess. Right. You know? Yeah. And I mean, we didn't originate that idea. You know, I think it goes back to, <laughs> you know, the, the, the captain going down with a ship or, or the, the kinds of things where everybody gets the same sort of situation. So, so Liz, do you have a big final question? I have one really good final question. Do yours and then on. final five. Okay. So we've been talking a lot about, about this sort of concept of to, to boil it down into a couple of few words, like what's the point basically? Like, why do we even make movies? And like, what are we even looking to do here? Like, what are our goals? Um, so I guess like my question for both of you, you guys is like, like, what is the point for you? Is it like making this movie, getting it out into the world, people seeing it, like, you know, one view, one person reacting to the, the movie positively, does that make it all matter? Or like, like what, what is the ultimate journey that you are on as filmmakers like where are you hoping to go and and what is it really for you like or is this it and that's great like what what is it yeah i i think that uh i just kind of feel like my purpose and hopefully a lot of humans feel this way is a purpose on earth is to just bump into people uh, uh the way i like to say it is you know create beautiful things with beautiful people um, and that, and that's, you know, from Jordan and I collaborating to bringing on this team to being on set and just investing in each other and loving on each other. Um, it goes all the way through, um, you know, going to a festival and being interacting with an audience, um, and, uh, interacting with investors, this whole crowdfunding, like to me, it's all about people. Um, and art is just kind of the best way that I've found to connect with other people. Um, and it's why indie film is so rewarding and, you know, screenwriting on its own is so lonely. Like you're just, you know, sitting by yourself at a computer and you don't get that kind of interaction. Um, And like we mentioned before, we both played in bands and that was the thing I missed the most from playing in bands is um, not the creating because I get to create on my own all the time, but the interaction with with an audience. And so um, just every step of this thing, that's, that's where we, where we start. um, And that's our focus is relationships uh, come first and relationships come before the art and the art just serves um, those relationships. But it's also why, you know, on this side of things, now that it's kind of done, like we so want to do another one um, in order to, to kind of keep that train rolling in order to build those new relationships again, because um, it's these high highs and these low lows and you get down to the bottom, it just feels so lonely again. Um, and so we just want to keep doing that. We just want to create, uh, keep creating uh, beautiful things with beautiful people. I love this question. I think it's such an important question that we all should be asking ourselves all the time, which is not a question I ever thought to ask until Hudson and I made our first short film together. And the guy who paid for it, we had one investor who paid for this short film and he had a theater in his house. And so we finished the film. No one had seen it. And we took it to his house and we all sat there and watched it with him. It was 20 minutes long and it ended and the lights came up and he just 
kind of looked at us for a minute and they said, what was the point? (laughs) (laughs) And his, his taste and our taste were not the same. And he wasn't investing in our film because he believed in the film, but because he believed in us and wanted, and wanted to foster um, us. But we, we laughed a lot at the time, but we, I think we were also kind of terrified a little bit of, at like, what, what is the point? What are we doing? What did we make here? And I don't, I don't, I don't know that I have long-term goals. I, I'm not a financially minded person. I'm not a business minded person. I just want to make art. That's how I identify as an artist even more than a director. And so uh, I desperately want to make more films. I want to make films my whole life because it's the most rewarding artistic project that I've ever been on, I think because of the collaborative process. Um, but if I also never had another opportunity to make one, I would be so happy that I just was able to make this one because this one changed my life in like profound ways. And um, I, I just have so much to be grateful for. And I'm also terrified of making a second film. Um, so that, that might be part of it. But you're um, so balanced and low key. I, I doubt that you really have sincere fear about it. Um, I, have a, I have a long track record of being really good at something the first time I do it. And, and not so great on, on all subsequent attempts. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so funny. I, I feel like you know, I can relate to that. Like my first short film has gotten the most love out of anything I've done. I've made like six others after. And, you know, like, no, like even my friends, my mom, like, they're like always, Oh, that first one was so good. And then like all the others, they're like, whatever, who cares? Early funny ones. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The early funny ones. (laughs) Why do you think that is though? Do you, is there something about like, you learn too much or you got exposed to too much? Like, is there something about the innocence of doing the first one? I mean, I like the others better. (laughs) Yeah, okay, yeah. But it's also being running out the gate, right? You put everything into that first project, even if it's technically may not be as proficient. I think there may be more energy. I think you think a little bit less about it as far as like micromanaging every decision. Oh, yeah. and, and, And doubting every decision because you don't, you don't necessarily even know that there's other options of ways to do things. You just, it's not, it, it, I think if you don't, if you're not open to it, then you're not as natural necessarily in, in your creating. Yeah. I don't know. Also, I think like you make a lot of mistakes the first time and then maybe the, there's some like magic that happens in, in mistakes somewhere, you know? For sure. Oh, I'm yeah. all about magic mistakes. <laughs> But we had that same experience. Our, our first short uh, got a lot of attention and everything we did after that until now. Um, so gosh, I hope, gosh, I hope that's not the case with, with features. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jumping into final five questions. Um, so why don't we just, we'll just do an order just to make it super easy. Right. So Jordan will go first, Hudson will go second, if that's okay with y'all. Um, what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? The first film I ever made was in, uh, probably 2004 um and it was an animated short that i i was um I, it's not right to say i was homeless i did not have a home at the time and i was sleeping on couches and and doing things i just gotten off tour and abandoned broken up so i had a lot of artistic energy and i didn't know what to do with it so i was staying with a friend and she had a computer and she would go to work all day and i just was like what if i sat here and animated a film wouldn't that be interesting and it was only a couple minutes long, and I um, 
I just loved it. It was about a stick that fell off a tree in a, in a, um, in a thunderstorm. And it was about that life of that stick. And uh, sadly it um, disappeared when her computer did whatever computers did in 2004 or five. And um, I haven't seen it in, you know, 15, 16 years. And I don't think it exists at all. So um, I feel great about it because I, I can't see it, <laughs> um, but I have great memories of it. And it really made me fall in love with moving pictures and creating them. I guess the first film I made would have been like in high school with, with, with pals. So we would do, you know, um, VHS spoof movies of, you know, uh, I think we did like Mission Improbable or like, you know, um, Die Hard, like at our high school and um, which is insane. We actually uh, we found the Die Hard one and watched it recently. And this is, you know, mid 90s. And um, we're like bringing all these like BB guns into school and running around, uh, which is just, you know, certainly a different world now that, that feels so weird. Um, but, you know, I mean, like those were, I, yeah, I definitely think that, um, you know, I, I kind of caught the bug at that point. And, um, you know, they didn't really have stories, they were just scenes. And so, um, you know, I, I started writing in high school too and, and kind of fell in love with that. But, um, yeah, they were just, you know, innocent and fun. What's the best filmmaking advice you ever received, Jordan? It's first. I'm so bad at remembering specific things like that. So I'm going to paraphrase this, but it's a it's Carl Jung, the, the you know, the smart dude from a long time ago. Um, it was not a filmmaking advice, but the advice is that the the greatest damage done to a child is the unlived life of the parent. And as a parent, um, trying to find the balance of being a great parent while also still doing what I do and following my passions um, is what allows me to be a filmmaker and a parent. And uh, I think so Carl Jung, I think gave me advice that allows me to, to be a filmmaker. And, and without that, I, I'm not sure I'd be able to be one. Yeah, mine probably came from, and it wasn't specific to filmmaking either, but um, about uh, 12 years ago or so, maybe 10 years ago, I was very frustrated, burnt out with the screenwriting process in the world. It was kind of before we started making any film stuff. Um, and I had lunch with a friend of mine whose uh, son, he's actually one of my best friend's father, and my best friend had passed away in, um, in our college years. So I was getting lunch with his father and um, he became a, like a pastor after his son died. And he said the reason he became a pastor was because he wanted to help people who had gone through similar situations. And so I kind of come to him and unload on all this, like seemingly like I was going through a divorce. So some of it was pretty serious, I guess. Um, and I was just lost at this point in my life. And he said, uh, he said very clearly, Hudson, what you need to do is um, take what you're great at, which is this writing and take the life that you've lived and experienced, which is all these kind of hardships and struggles um, and combine the two. So write about what's honest and write about what's pure and write about with, write with transparency. Um, and that really, that just changed. It became my why. And it's, it's still why I write today is in order to um, be kind of uh, an honest mirror for people's emotions and feelings. And um, the idea is, you know, don't provide pat answers for people, but um, just, show people's experiences on um, screen as honestly as possible and people will find healing in that. Uh, what are your goals as filmmakers? My goal is we, we talk in the art world, we're always talking about voice and finding your voice and, and this sort of thing. And, and my goal is, is related to um, 
I think rejecting that in some ways, um, because I grew up a suburban kid in the South and I, and I, I just, everybody, I just, I don't, I don't, it's not that I have these things that are super important to say. It's that I want to be a vehicle for other people's voices. Like there are stories that can be told that we can learn from. So, um, you know, there's the, there's the also at the same time, there's the idea that we go to the movies to see ourselves. And I think that there's value in that, but I think we also need to be going to the movies to see each other. And I, I think I want to provide away and tell stories and and direct in a way that we can see each other and and find um value in each other and see ourselves in each other there's just there's so much there and i want to explore that and if i all i want is the opportunity to do that through art and i think the maybe the best way and maybe where my where my natural talents are and are in directing those kinds of stories uh, I just want to write Marvel movies. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, I think in an ideal world, I would, uh, you know, write some big budget action adventure thing and then go with Jordan and a bunch of pals up into the mountains again and make a movie and just go back and forth between those two worlds. I just found out that one of my heroes, Stuart Gordon, um, wrote um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And he like directed Reanimator and you mm-hmm. know all these other like huh. wonderful, like, amazing sci-fi films like robot jocks and uh space truckers yeah. which i just saw for the first time the other night and it's like oh man what a what a world to be able to like write that kind of big budget movie and then go off and make all these tiny little budget sci-fi films that's cool yeah have you seen robot jocks lately i just did i just saw it for the first time and it blew my mind and i love it because <laughs> i i've been I've th- i watched it all the time when i was a kid and i and i haven't seen it since then but i think about it all the time. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> uh, and then we we had a we had a neighbor move in across the street, and um, he's a voice actor, and uh, he was in oh Robot God. Jocks, but I haven't talked to him about it you yet. Got it. <laughs> but I'm I'm just I'm I'm done. I need to see it again before oh, I talk man, to him. Amazing. About it. The cool. question I have is, if you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourselves? I would um, tell myself to 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 sleep, and to um, that it's okay to. So there were a couple of years around the time that we made the film that I was sleeping about three hours a night because I would parent all day and I would edit and work because um, I was doing design and all this other stuff all, all night. And um, I think I did a real detriment to myself and, and to my family and to my kids, like just falling asleep at stop signs and not having any patience <laughs> and, and just working too hard. So I, I would give myself the advice that, you know, however long it takes to do a project is how long it takes. And you have to also have a a quality of life and value, you know, um, some self-care and, and taking care of yourself and the people around you while you create. Um, I think I would tell myself uh, quantity produces quality. I think um, when I first started writing, I finished one screenplay and I'd be like, this is my golden ticket out of here. Um, it would just sit on it for a couple of years and then like, oh, I guess it wasn't. I better write another one. Um, so I wish I would have written faster and I wish I would have written more. Uh, I'd love to have more of a body of work, I think. Final question. Is making movies hard? Uh, yeah, it's really hard, but it's the reward far outweighs the the difficulty of making it. Uh, anything worth doing is hard, hard to do. Um, relaxing is hard to do, but 
it's worth it. Uh, yeah, uh, making this film is definitely um, the hardest experience I've ever had. And, and almost every step of it was harder than the previous step. Um, I think we got done filming the movie and we're like, ah, oh, we're done, that was great. Uh, and then we faced all this <laughs> uh, stuff on the back end. Um, but yeah, like Jordan said, there's, there's, there's not a minute of it that I would trade out. Um, I've loved every single second of this thing. And I think the, the difficulty of it is part of the magic and, and part of what makes it um, feel so like a valuable part of my life. Sell your wares. How can people support you and see the film? Uh, you, you can watch This World Alone um, on iTunes, Amazon, every digital place that you can rent or buy a movie. Um, you can find all of those links at thisworldalone.com. Yeah. And we're at uh, This World Alone Film on um, social media and all that. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Thank Can't you. wait to hear what you guys make next and keep the dream alive, you know? <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this was uh, this was a fantastic conversation. We really miss, I think Hudson mentioned this earlier, but like we just love connecting with other people. The film festivals and all that, we hear people say they're a drag and I don't think they're a drag. I think it's the best to get to meet other people and, and to make a movie as an excuse to meet other people is a pretty good excuse to, to meet other people. We wanted this release to be a tour, like we said, and it's been kind of a, a bummer to not have it be that, but I can see you guys and hear your voices and we get to have a conversation and that makes me very warm and fuzzy inside. Liz, what did you remember from our talk with Jordan and Hudson? Every time I talk to Hudson, I feel kind of like, I don't know what the expression is, but like kind of pumped up. Like I just really (laughs) like his attitude. I think he, um, he's in it for the right reasons, you know, and that was my first time meeting Jordan. And he seemed like a really good team. I like the idea of going for something without fully thinking it through. I think very often artists obsess over things and we worry and we analyze and it delays our projects. So I admire their just kind of chutzpah. Um, uh, but I think you and I talked a little bit after we recorded it, I think and we talked about um Jordan's wife and how I was like, I want Jordan's wife on the podcast to talk about uh, the decision to make the movie. And, um, you know, we received this email. I think we read it last week from Kyle Kenyon, where he was talking about Mm. um, how independent filmmakers come from money or a certain level of stability, or they have partners who could support them. And I, this is like a sub thread that might come out in every single episode, but I'd love to just interview like 15 million filmmakers and be like, what are the economics of how you live your life while being a filmmaker? And we didn't get into it with Jordan because I felt like it was invasive, Um, but it did spark this thought in me, which is like, how, how can you make it in the indie film business without a supportive partner? You can't is the answer to that question. Um, <laughs> but I would say that uh, we do we do often and dig in and like ask people what they do for their day job, you know, to really get into like, you know, where the money comes from. We did it with Jordan and Hudson. Um, but it was it seemed clear to me that they had other jobs, whether it was design or something else, you know. I mean, Hudson does a really cool podcast um, about, and he, he kind of has like a little mini empire for writing. So I think it's Script, mm. Bla- script Blast. I hope I... I'm going to say, I'm going to correct. I'm going to look it up and I'm going to correct it. Um, But yeah, I don't know what they do for their like nine to five. Maybe that is what they do. Maybe they are filmmakers. I don't think so. I think they do something else. There's got to be, there's no way that they're just filmmakers only for their nine to five. I mean, the design thing could be one thing. That's definitely, I wouldn't put that in the category of filmmaking. Um, But, you know, but when I talk about like filmmaking nine to five, it's like, you know, a very, very rare 
breed of of people because i'm speaking about like narrative filmmaking for money you know like we've probably had like i I would say maybe five people that we could count on our hands who who only do that if if that i wouldn't count the nelms brothers if you're thinking the nelms brothers no i'm not thinking the nelms brothers i'm thinking yeah like uh what's his name um the midas touch guy um sev (laughs) It's Ev Ohanian, that's one. <laughs> but he writes and produces. Yeah, but he makes movies. That's all he does is make narrative yeah. content. That's like 100% of his Averil. job. Yeah, Averill. There we go. Yeah, uh, we talked to, what's his name? Um, Fancy Boy Roy, Justin Krizel. Uh, You know, that's all he does. <laughs> what do you call Fancy Boy Roy? Well, I don't know. He lives off in Australia. His wife's a famous actor. You know, that's Fancy okay, Boy. Okay, he's fancy. He's fancy. He boy. works with fancy actors. He's worked with Michael Fassbender. Oh, There's no one else we could say. <laughs> and Russell Crowe, goddamn. Two oh. huge mega stars. Anyways, yeah, people like that. I mean, there's very yeah. few, um, you know. And then I guess, you know, for some, like for Malgo, uh, you know, Malgo. she's like on the European system. So she's getting substance, like money from their government to, to make her art. So that, like, is even different, but it still counts. Um, anyways, the point of all this is to say, this is a very interesting conversation and I hope you guys enjoyed it. But yeah, I think without any further ado, it's time for Get Shorty. So you make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. Okay, so this week we have a short from writer-director Jennifer Goreski called The Non-Love Story. And here is Jennifer to talk about her film. Hello, my name is Jennifer Goreski and I'm a filmmaker based in Melbourne, Australia and I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about my short film called The Non-Love Story. So why did I make a short film versus any other medium? The reason why I chose to do a short film over other mediums was because it was mostly based around our school's curriculum for what we could film and could not film. So we were told to make a film under 10 minutes and we had three options. So we could either make a short documentary documentary, a short narrative film, and a music video. And the reason why going more deep into that for why I did a short narrative film was because I've already had experience making a documentary and working on a music video. And I just wanted to make sure that my portfolio was as versatile as possible upon leaving my studies. The second question is, Why this story? So even though the story is a non-romantic comedy, which is a very funny out there genre, but one of my professors called it that, which I thought was really hilarious. Um, Although it is a very funny film, there is more of a serious undertone and serious meaning to why I made this film. And this film is based around anxiety and anxious thoughts of the future and being scared to face the music. How did your team come up with the funds? So this was one of the dips in the whole making of this film, which is totally okay. This happens. This is literally what this podcast is called. Like making films is really hard. It it all happened under the pandemic. So everyone was losing their jobs. Not many people were making that much money. There was all these things that kind of made a bit of a struggle with the funding. So my team and I decided to use Kickstarter for our website that we were going to do the crowdfund for. And again, due to the pandemic, no one was able to donate anything, which was a little bit of a concern, but totally understandable. I totally get their position. So it was a little bit of a worry because we didn't have any money and we're like, okay, we don't need that much money 
we only needed 300 for production design and for catering. But luckily, uh, my family members were very generous to give me some money as well and to be able to reach the $300 goal that we had because we already had location for free and like costumes and all that stuff were relatively cheap as well. So we only needed a small budget and I very much lucked in. And yeah, I was really grateful that my family was able to help me out with that as well. Before making the show, what did you think would happen to your career because of it? And what did end up happening? So before I made the show, I was hoping, like I've mentioned before, that this will add a bit more versatility to my portfolio. And even though I just published this video, obviously nothing extravagant has happened for career-wise. Like I'm not getting all these jobs here, there and everywhere, which like is totally chill and all that stuff. But I was really surprised with the amount of positive reviews from everyone, not, not, not just my family, but like literally everyone, people, like acquaintances of people and all that stuff, commenting about how great the film is. And I'm so happy that people like it. I didn't really have too much of a thought of submitting it to a film festival, but people are recommending it. So I am planning to do so. Now that it's out in the world, what purpose does it serve? So again, like I've mentioned before, how I wanted the film to be about how anxiety can sometimes be your worst enemy. Sometimes it can help you, but a lot of the times it doesn't help you out very much and it tells you the worst of the worst and what the worst things that could happen to you. And I know so many people who are like me from a few years ago when, because I, I've been diagnosed with anxiety as well and I've had many of these thoughts as well. And when I first started like studying for filmmaking and all that stuff, my main goal about heading into this industry is to help people, give them ideas or to get them through hard times, but in a way that is artistic as well and obviously something that people can relate to as well. So I feel as though this film is the start of my journey for what I want to get out of my career. And pretty much for this particular film, I wanted to do it in a way where I'm talking about something where I'm most familiar with and something that I've been dealt I've been dealing with my whole life, which is anxiety. And I wanted to make this to show people that as cheesy as it sounds, like they're not alone. I want to show people and to teach people that like even when you're thinking about these bad things like what happened in the future, they end up usually not being that bad. Uh, would I do anything differently story-wise story now that the show is done and dusted? Oh, done and released. Sorry, I read that wrong. <laughs> if I could change one thing, it will be to base it in another location. And I am working on pre-production and writing for a web series which will be released I'm hoping within the next couple of years once I set that all up and all that stuff maybe even less than that and I'm going to really seriously consider what locations I'm going to be using and <laughs> I'm going to like take that like very like super like that'll be one of my main things that I'll be focusing on. Thank you guys so much for having me on your podcast and guys if you haven't watched my short film I will hopefully comment down in the video below where you can check it out. So thank you all so much. Beep up, beep up. Arik, tell us your thoughts on the non-love story. <laughs> so I really like that it's like a bit of a sci-fi short. I thought that was really fun. Um, you know, kind of sci-fi as the catalyst to have a series of gags, which was fun. Um, I liked how over the top it was. That was really cool. I thought the performances were fun on both ends. 
Um, I didn't like the predictable, obvious score choice. I thought that was like so lazy. And like, I mean, geez, how many sequences, how many movies, how many things have we seen score to this this classic, amazing track before that I think is in the public domain? But just because something's in the public domain doesn't mean you can you should use it. <laughs> you know? it's um, I'm now remembering. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like you know, sure, it's her it's her first movie, I think, or or very early on Emerging in her career. career. Yeah, yeah, and so I feel like you know, sure, I get I get you. I've done things like this, but. You know, I think it's an opportunity to either pick something that is less well-known and less classic that does the same thing that could also be in the public domain or, you know, get some original score going or something. But I mean, I don't know. It's just like it works. It gets the job done. It's just, you know, as far as creative levels, I give it like a zero out of for creativity. I mean, you know, really. So the other thing that was my issue was the computer simulation begin line that comes from the the watch in the beginning i didn't really under i didn't hear it the first time like i, I oh, kind of i didn't yeah. quite hear it very clearly i heard that there was something was said like something blah 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 but i didn't really know what it was so the whole gag of this movie of like you know him basically trying to trial and error breaking up with his girlfriend it it i was a little confused i was like oh is he going back in time is he trying this and redoing it like how is what's happening and then i had to watch it again to get that it was just a simulation coming from his um from his watch that it was like a completely simulated thing which was fun because like you know in the beginning her voice is computerized and sounds um like robotic and i thought it was like a sound problem at first and then when i heard that it was a computerized simulation thing I was like, oh, they did that on purpose. And then when you look, watch the end of the short, her voice sounds normal. So it was like a good thing that they did. But like, since I missed that beat, I thought it was like an, an amateur mistake at first. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, very enjoyable and fun. And uh, yeah, you know, cool, cool little short for your first go around, you know, or second or whatever it is. I um, watched it with closed captions just for that one part that you talked about. Like when the com I couldn't hear what he said either, so I put on started again and put on closed captions, um, and I was like, "Oh, a simulation." Uh, there's this play that I was in in high school. Let me talk about this play I was in for the next forty minutes. Um, <laughs> it's called Sure Thing. I think it's by either Ives or Durang, and it is this scenario except for it's a first date, right? So it's someone mm. with a bell at the table, and every time they give a wrong answer, the bell dings, and they have to think of a new answer. Um, I mean, it's scripted in that way. So this was like, uh, for me, I'm assuming that Jennifer has seen that play because it's a pretty well-known play and kind of did her own riff off of it. But I, you know, it's not uh, unbelievably original, but then like, whatever, happy death day is Groundhog Day, whatever. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I thought it was charming and I thought it was fun. I'd say my only real complaint, and it's a minor one and I'm nitpicky about it, is that if you're going to have a simulation and you want to differentiate it from real life, have different background actors. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a mm -hmm. simulation background actor and he's the same guy in the real life scenario. Mm -hmm. So unless Jennifer's intention was to be in the simulation the entire time, um, I didn't think there was enough world building to really make the joke sing. Um, and I would say also the you know, this is such a nitpicky thing, but it just felt like hmm. the female actress was kind of like dolled up and the male 
part was just kind of sitting there and acting, but she had to kind of have this performative, like perfect posture and beautiful dress and perfect hair. And it, I didn't love that either. Okay. I have two nitpicks, but that's all. These are my minor nitpicks about this cute sketch. Good job, Jen. Yeah. Like, like, like there, there was attention, attention given, given to, to the, the woman's, woman's character, character for like, you know, wardrobe, wardrobe and, and makeup and stuff. And stuff. Yeah. But there was, there was no, no attention whatsoever given to the male. He was just like in a t-shirt and then that's it. And he was, was adorable, no, like, but like, yeah, there was no like primping or whatever for him. I mean, if he was like this super nerd who could make a simulation device, like, you know, you could have given him more of a nerdy sort of ensemble to wear, you know, or some kind of like make him more of a Dexter-y type character, you know, from Dexter's lab, you know, just with a... Uh, you know, maybe not as over top as a, a lab coat, but you know that kind of thing to like just you know kind of go with it the, to build his character out a little bit more. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get you. I just I think that it's a very good effort, but I think yeah, if if the simulation had given been given more of these details that you're talking about of like you know there is nobody in the simply just taking out the extras, so there are no extras, so it's like and the, or changing the lighting more dramatically because like they change the audio you should change the visual to go along with the audio change in some way you could even like colored it green or something to make it like feel like the matrix you know or like something where you know it's clearly you're in another world when when he's seeing the the watch and at the end it's like oh you're back in the real world now his watch is broken blah 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 you know Still, very enjoyable. I think also largely because it was short. But yeah. short, 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 short and sweet is like, <laughs> you know, can't really be overstated how good of a thing that is. You know, if you can make something that's entertaining in a short amount of time. Um, I'm now just thinking I'm going to, I have like an 11 page script for my short and I'm like, I'm going to make it shorter. Why am I doing this to other people? I'm going to make I feel it like seven pages 10 minutes for like a genre like horror short with like you know those you effects. know a, a more fleshed out story with effects i think 10 is fine okay seven's right. good too but you know uh, i don't think you, like it's a different thing like this it's like a completely different genre or subgenre this is short a, film. a one joke charming sketch yeah it's uh, it's a it's a one-hander as they call it right you know <laughs> well it's technically um, a two-hander right doesn't it mean actors don't oh i guess so <laughs> I don't know. Correct us, people. Is it a one-hander or a two-hander? Maybe it's a two-hander. But yeah, but no, this was fun. Thanks, Jennifer. And I hope more people yeah. just, you know, she just sent it in blindly. There was just no charm star at work here. This was just her. So I hope more, be, more we people, know. well, she didn't mention anything. I don't Charmed know. Charm star. Did you tip Jennifer off to this? Is this how she found us? I don't know. We'll find out later, maybe. But Ulrich, you have mail. My breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got mail. So last week we promised two letters, but we only read one. But guess what? Here's the second one. So we got a, we also got a letter uh, last week from Matthew Holmes, a.k.a. Mr. Voorhees, who gave us an iTunes review like a while back, which was really wonderful. But Matt writes this. He says, hey, so I wrote in a while back now and you answered my question. and I super appreciate that. I'm writing again to let you know how awesome your podcast is. Wow. I've been super discouraged about my writing for the last few months after the release of my second book and stalling of my first feature script. I haven't played one of your podcasts in probably a good two months, but today I put one on and was immediately re-inspired and don't feel as much like giving up. 
The guest said the advice I hate to hear from all the maidits out there. The people who make it are just the ones who didn't give up. I believe in the stories I'm telling, and I owe it to those characters to do everything I can to let their stories be received. I thank you both for being a light in the dark that is the creative space and always giving honest feedback and shining a light on all the work that goes into the craft. P.S. Definitely do the vent crawling scene, Liz. <laughs> Matt, a.k.a. Mr. Voorhees, a.k.a. at Here We Here We're Main 2018 on Instagram. Thanks, Matt. Why weren't you listening to us for two and a half months? <laughs> That's all I'm How dare about. you? <laughs> Focusing on the uh, negative. That's um, so funny. That no, was very sweet of him. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's good that, like, you know, people are getting inspiration from these conversations because I was, like, going through this whole, like, you know, re rethinking about my filmmaking career and what does it all mean and why does it matter and what do I want as a filmmaker and what do I want for my life as an artist? What matters most, Liz? Why am I doing this? And, you know, while working that out, it's it's fun and good to hear that other people are finding it helpful as well as, like, I go through my own, you know, whatever therapy session on the show. Basically. Yeah, have you figured it out? Are you out the other side? Are you still um, uh, in, in the depths of... Um, yeah, I basically just want to make movies um, and get better at it. That's sort of what I've decided and that it doesn't necessarily matter about waiting for um, a certain amount of money or a certain opportunity or anything that it's like really just trying to find the story that I can tell and do, um, you know, either with the funds I have or with as little funds as possible um, so I can you know, just keep on creating stuff. So like if I don't get an opportunity to make a movie for, you know, half a million or a quarter million or God knows whatever else amount of money, then I could just go out with like a really small amount and uh, and make something like, you know, in my hometown, like around where I live and, and not uh, take myself away from, you know, my new baby, you know, for, um, you know, a long period of time, you know, so that that's sort of like the thinking now is like, I'd love to make a movie within the next year and do it um, locally around here, you know, but I have to come up with a, a story idea that's worthy of it, you know. Um, I've been watching a lot of these, like, you know, Grindhouse movies lately and, like, the stuff that Joe Bob puts out there, and, uh, you know, it's been really fun, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to see, like, like, when people had no money and, like, what they were able to do with no money and, and as far as effects and, and story and, and just the whole movie goes... And then where people did have money, like The Shining, for instance, or like a bigger, you know, budget, you know, horror movie and like the difference of what that looks like. And then how you can, as an independent filmmaker, can fit in with your like low budget thing. Like, what can you do that doesn't cost a lot of money that can still be shocking, like impactful and emotional and like tell a good story? without like you know having to have all these resources you know so that's sort of where i'm at now you know and like people will reference primer in this kind of conversation but i hate primer i couldn't <laughs> get through primer I tried it's just not so good hard. sorry shane um and who's shane caruth who was I'm nice not gonna enough apologize to, to shane caruth. <laughs> he was nice enough to tell us that he wouldn't be on our show but he would maybe one day if we asked him again um but is he a me too guy so that's yeah. happened with this well, guy he was oh. abusive to um his 
partner. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. I'm not apologizing to Shane anymore. He was just—he was really nice in that email that he sent, um, you know, five years ago or whatever it was. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm just not a fan of that movie. And so it's like to do something on that scale, you know, with, with that kind of level, but actually make it good um, and um, engaging and. Just like, you know, fulfilling of all the genre goodness, you know, like bring the blood, bring the, the, the gore, bring the thrills, bring the, you know, really fun performances. Like let someone just go nuts with this character or characters uh, for 90 minutes, you know, like that's what I'm trying to figure out, like how to write that movie and make that movie, um, you know, with the resources that are available to me. I was like, I'm listening to you, but I'm also like, uh, he's going to ask me what I think and I have to think of something to say afterwards and I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, but I think that you're in a very good place. And I, I can remember being waiting for my, I wrote this like article when I was three months pregnant and it was basically all my fears about my career dissolving once I had a baby. It was this idea that once you have a baby, you disappear and your identity is gone and how do you find time for yourself? And I'm here with a two and a quarter year old to say that you could carve out time for yourself and you could make projects and you could build the lifestyle that you want and daycare is a godsend. And so are nannies and babysitters. But but I think that you're going to have an extra soon. You're going to have like an extra, like you won't have to pay millions of dollars for baby talent. You should make a movie where you have a free <laughs> baby in there. <laughs> like it's an asset. I'm just That's thinking and bringing myself to where I was when I was waiting for a baby. And um, it's good that you're thinking ahead and planning for the project because you could so do it. So exploit my daughter. daughter. Exploit your That's daughter. plan. Uh, but also like Judd Apatow. plan. Yeah, plan ahead because um, every day you lose time. Um, no, it's interesting. I'm looking at things in a completely different way right now. Where I'm pitching on a lot of lo – I've never pitched before this year. And I've now pitched on three films and I'm pitching on a fourth on Thursday. And I'm officially attached to a, this, this sci-fi feature. And I'm writing a musical and I'm writing – a horror film and all these things and like my job right now is diversify put pitch and generate as many projects as possible because i just feel like statistically everything fails nothing's ever going to happen but if i you know that scene in 40 year old virgin it's my favorite scene in like all of cinema it's mm. seth rogan talking about getting laid and he's like you know, you, you plant the seed as often as possible, and then you right. fuck the seed. Um, right. That's fuck what the I'm plant. doing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, fuck once, the plant. Once the seed grows. <laughs> that's where you don't fuck the seed. Um, right now, I think you're in a much more thoughtful place about generating, like, an idea and a project that is meaningful to you that stands out. I think I'm all about seed planting right now. Just plant as well, many seeds. I, th I think our listeners... Um, would be doing what I would be doing if I was hearing this as a listener or will be doing like, like how do you get these pitches, Liz? Like, I know you've answered before, like, Oh, I got one on Twitter or I got one from this friend, but like, is it just random people that you like meet online or that, you know, through your network or like, how are you getting these opportunities to pitch on movies? I thought like, remember, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but like at the end of my second feature, I was like, Oh, nothing's changed. I made two features and nothing matters. But I really am starting to think that having made two features does mean something and it is yes. helping me. Um, so I think that's part of it is having two features under my belt. The second thing is one was from um, 
yeah, one, one, two projects are from social media. A lot of them came from the same guy who's helping me and he's like decided to go from a director to producer and he's looking for women to produce mm. just projects because it's like more appropriate now. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm a bit of a patsy for him, which is fine. I'm a willing patsy. Um, I don't even know if that's a really off color. I don't even know what the origin of that word is. So now I'm worried that that's <laughs> really, really inappropriate. Um, so, I gotta look it up. yeah, please. Now I have to rectify the situation if I've like really shouldn't be using this word. But yeah, it's all informal. And then I never realized how important enthusiasm is. So if you read a script and it has legs, like enthusiasm is everything. Whereas the before I would be very lackadaisical about it and I'd be like, oh, I'll read it. But now I like, I put together a deck. I pitch what I can do. I try to become real. I try to use passion. I find something about it that appeals to me and I fight to be on these projects. Nice. That's, That's awesome. awesome. I don't know. Well, good for, good for you. I mean, I'm not, it's what I really no, know. So, so it's one, it's, there's two different origins of Patsy. One is from the Italian Pazzo, meaning fool. Okay. Um, so that's where it comes from. The other one is uh, Patsy is a diminutive of the name Patrick, which was originally a slang for all as well, which then was turned into a noun that came to mean sucker later um, in the like sense of one weird. being born every minute you know what i mean like i'm like oh yeah totally I'm like their their token woman for a project which i'm yeah no. will be i think it the usage of the word was on point and i think it's not very offensive and i don't think it can even be offensive to italian people i don't oh. or pat maybe patrick's i don't know it could be offensive to patrick's sorry out there. patrick's out there <laughs> I found out the meaning or the origin of eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and now oh, I cannot ever use that ever again. Oh, no. It's very, Can very you say? bad. No, I don't want to say. It's very nasty. Okay, well, I'm not going to say it. It hurts my soul. The I won't say the People out there probably shouldn't use That should be canceled along with a lot of other things because the origin is goddamn terrible. Um, okay. Anyways. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I got. I mean, Liz. Honestly, I wish I could be taking pitches and pitching on movies and planting seeds. Like that'd be amazing. I just don't think I'm there yet. Um, having one feature that's not even out or done yet. You know, I don't think I'm kind of ready for that kind of action. Um, I wish I were. I think most opportunities have come to me when I've faked confidence. Mm. Like I started consulting, and I'm like, I'm an expert. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like somehow I have clients. Um, but where you're, I don't know, it's very nice of you to say about the pitching, but uh, I think this town is full of just broken dreams. And mm. this is experience for me to be able to go in a room one day, which is my real fear, is to go to like CAA or UTA and pitch on something. Right now I'm just mm. on Zooms. You know, it's not very scary with people who are not terrifying. Well, by the time you get to that um, UTA or whatever CAA opportunity, yeah. You'll be so experienced with the pitches, you'll feel so. great. That's my goal. Let's just do some practice runs right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a, a script that I'm working on with a friend, and you know, we, we signed a contract. We're you know equal partners on it, which is great. Um, but yeah, we're trying to, you know, get into rooms with it and get it out to people. But we're we're both like not really. We don't have that many connections. There's only so many people we can send it to. You know, so. Um, it's, it's like, like the, the very beginning stages of that project, but I, I wish I had people to pitch it to, um, because it's fucking awesome and it's going to be an awesome movie when we eventually make it. Um, it just, it's like in the very early beginnings, but I also, in addition to that project, I want to write my own stuff that I could like 
make that doesn't need, you know, whatever we think this one needs, like, you know, almost a million dollars or something, which is, um, you know, I think hard for a second feature to, to raise that much. If it was half a million, I think it'd be a lot easier. But since it's, it can, I don't think it can't it quite, can't quite be done for under half a million. So it's like, you know, it's sort of like this tough sort of, place where you know to do the practical effects properly we just need a little bit more of the old cashola um you know. i mean i've heard a lot of people well first of all i'm not pitching anything i like i'm pitching to join a team already put together so it's very different right I'm that sounds awesome to too <laughs> but it's not but what you're doing is really difficult but second yeah, thing, no, different, yeah. if your script is really good but even if the, they don't have the money like remember what we talked about with jen mcgowan where she's like she can trace the origin of every single project based off of a door opening mm. years prior so it's like what i'm really excited about right now is like if i'm attached to a project with legs with a really good script like then I can meet other people for future projects down the road. So even mm. as you break down those doors, you're just planting seeds. Right. Planting yeah, so I guess I am planting seeds. <laughs> I do have a seed planted uh, with this project. And yeah, I think I just, I wanna be like a, I guess here's, here's the bottom line. I know this is a really long conversation, sorry people, but um, like what I've discovered is that I wanna be a working filmmaker as not in the sense of like, oh, I'm like Jim McGowan and getting paid money to, you know, go shoot, you know, fancy awesome shows. I'd love that too, but I also don't wanna be away from my family that much, you know, that has really been very clear to me. Like I wanna be an artist who's like constantly making films. So like, you know, whether or not like they cost zero dollars and I make them with my iPhone or, you know, they cost millions of dollars. Like I just want to constantly be making a movie, you know, um, and working towards shooting that next movie. And so, I mean, I would love to be, you know, like one a year, like Woody Allen one day or, or you know, one every other year or something. Like, I mean, that would be amazing to just kind of have that sort of trajectory of like constantly putting out a feature like every two to three years or or less i mean that would be that's like the dream you know um, the dan mervish I, the dan mervish career yeah so i don't think i i don't need it to be that much money each time like they can be like you know like for pennies if if that's what if the movie if the movie can be made and be good at that budget level then i want to do it you know um I, you know, I don't need all the the, the, the tr frills and tr you know whatever extras every time. You know, um, that's good. I think that's a good goal. I like that. Well, well I, I feel comfortable, comfortable in knowing what I want in life. You know, and like what I what I'm excited about. Like I like I'm looking at like a filmmaker like Stuart Gordon and just seeing like how he consistently made movies like throughout his whole career, like almost pretty much up until he died. Like he was just constantly making movies, and it's like that's what I want. I just want to be making movies forever and to always be a working filmmaker. And it doesn't matter if I ever get to the Clint Eastwood level or the Stuart Gordon level or if I'm even more obscure than that, I don't give a shit. I just want to be making movies. <laughs> That's all that I care about. I like that. I think I want to make one movie that I'm not a cynic or a pessimist about that I can be like... <laughs> watch my movie i'm really proud of it and every single yeah. part of it i sign off on so i think that's what yeah. i want oh my gosh I, w I wonder how many filmmakers can say that none like, we're all horrible like I, masochists 
Yeah. Like, like we, we can, can sign, sign off on every part of, of, of a movie we've made. No. Like, I definitely can't say that about anything that I've made ever. Me neither. You know, short or feature. Like, I can't sign off on every Terrence single Malick bit. Malick probably is like, everything is perfect of this film. Maybe. Maybe for his first three. I don't know about his later ones. Um. Did you see Private Life? Oh, my God. It's amazing. It's oh, it so good? upsetting, but really good. Uh-oh. I had to watch it by myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, this has been a really fun conversation. I hope everyone's enjoyed it. This has definitely sucked up a lot of time. It sucked up so much time that uh, poor old Gary Kennedy is not going to get into be in the episode again. Uh, but deal with it, Gary. You'll get to be on a later one. That's fine. So, if you want to reach out to us, there are many ways you can do that, including writing an email, uh, just like our good friend Matthew Holmes did. Thank you, Matthew. Matt, even. Uh, you can also write a YouTube comment like so many lovely people do every week. Thank you. There's a, there's a YouTube page uh, that you can do that at. Uh, I have it somewhere. Making Movies is Hard, Making Movies is Hard Podcast on YouTube. That's what it is. Um, you can also support the show on Patreon, which so many lovely people do. It's how I am able to pay for Cameron's editing support, which is amazing. Finally, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast. Yeah, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Hudson and Jordan for being on the show. Let's all support This World Alone. Check it out. Support them. Rent it. Buy it. Um, have your own screening party. Uh, also, check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com. Uh, we, it's a repository for past episodes and, and lots of cool stuff to check out there. Uh, thanks to editor Alric for doing the editing. Alric, thank you. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening and talk to all y'all next week. This week we welcome producer, writer, and director. Wait, hold on. One more time. Yeah, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and you can check us out at... Do it again.